You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. All right, today's our last message in the series on foundations, the building blocks of faith. And in some ways, I'm happy because it's been a long 12 weeks of doing this. But in other ways, it's like, oh man, it's been so good. At least I've gotten a lot out of it. I hope you have too. And... Um, but I'm looking forward to God never said that, because I think that's going to be nice and a little snarky, etc. You know, like, um, God helps those who help themselves. I'm sorry, God never said that. That's not one that we're going to actually do. We're doing four others for the month of February, but I think it's going to be good. It gives us a lot of clarity in that. Today, we get to the end of the creed, and the end of the creed is filled with such hope and such joy and such, I'm just amazed at it. I love this. It says this, uh, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. Do you know what the word amen means? So be it, for sure, for sure, certain, so. And it's basically the word for foundation. It's the word for steadfast, sure, rock solid, this is it. And let me tell you, when you can believe that, when you do believe that, when you know that that's what God has in store for you, that hope, you can live with freedom and peace and purpose in this life, okay? So the text we're looking at, it's very short today. We've actually got a number of texts. The chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is this huge resurrection chapter that Paul speaks on. So I've preached on it before for Easter, can you imagine that? And so we're choosing a couple other verses, verses 42 to 43. This is what Paul says about it. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So here's kind of a major point. I probably should have made a slide for this. I didn't. And that is this. What you believe about your future will greatly affect how you live today. And the flip of that, okay? How you live today shows many ways how you believe your future is going to be, okay? What you believe about your future will affect the way you live today, and how you live today reflects what you really believe about your future. That's what we're talking about today. Okay, so um, the Bible says that the, we had had a definite, wonderful beginning, a middle that we're in the middle of, and we've got a glorious end goal in front of us. So the creed actually is followed along with that. I don't realize that, but it's like a grand story, a grand narrative, we said, that becomes our identity, our destiny, our everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Or I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's the glorious beginning that in love God created and there was a purpose and a plan. Then we get to the messy middle is what I call it. We're living in the midst of it, but it says, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, that God comes into the middle of our messy middle and changes everything by the way he interacts with it, loves us, forgives us, dies for us, and changes all history through his resurrection. And then we finally get to the end, the glorious end we have, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That's the way the Bible... Do you realize that that's basically unique? 
unique among most of the world's religions and unique in the world philosophies that many people in many religions basically believe we don't know much about the beginning. It was kind of happenstance or it just was there. The middle's messy. They agree with that. But we have no idea where the end is. And if there is an end at all, or we just kind of keep going around and around and around, we're not quite sure. So we're kind of caught up into this chaotic confusion. And can you imagine if you live that way? I don't think you have to imagine that. I think you see people that live that way. Okay? I think you do. An example of that is kind of having this kind of modernist philosophy, which is behind, some, uh, behind a lot of people's living today. An example, I think, is Carl Sagan. I might have used this before. I've used this in a number of times. But Carl Sagan, he said this. He said, I'm a collection of water, calcium, and organic molecules called Carl Sagan. You're a collection of almost identical molecules with a different collective label. Don't you love that? You've got a collective label. Yeah, but is that all? Is there nothing in here but molecules? Some people find this idea somehow demeaning to human dignity. For myself, I find it elevating that our universe permits the evolution of molecular machines as intricate and subtle as we. Huh, where does that leave you, you know? So if you think you're just kind of a collection of atoms and a happenstance that it just happens luckily or who knows for what reason that out of the stardust and all of this stuff that you kind of came to be over time, What's your purpose? What's your value? How much are you really worth if you're just a collective label of molecules? Um, I think it was last year I saw the BBC put together a uh, website you could go to. It was called How Much Are You Worth? And on it, you could put in, type in your name. Or you didn't have to use your name. They didn't care about that. But your age, your approximate weight, um, your gender, and it would spit out then how much you were worth in terms of the molecules or the atoms that actually existed in your body. And so this is mine. I typed it in, and I'm worth a total of $2,449. There you go. That's what I'm worth if I'm just a collection of atoms. Don't have too many of the other elements, you know, like gold and other things. But, you know, notice I've got a lot of oxygen. And many of you know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I can be a lot cheaper than that. Just go down to your local hardware store, pick up a, ba a bag of potting soil and a few gallons of water. Boom. There you got me. I'm basically 20 bucks. Because that's what it is. Now, the Bible agrees to an extent. You realize that God formed us out of the dust of the ground. But here's the difference. God formed us out of the dust of ground and breathed into us the breath of life. Wow, what a difference that makes. But if you think you're more or less a fluke that somehow over time you became who you are and that Whatever that beginning was, was pretty well nameless, and that you will be dissolved or become into the dissolution of the stardust, and that's the direction things are headed in the universe, which a lot of people believe. Then tell me, what do you got? You got today. You got just right now. You've got just what you can do right now. There's really no meaning or purpose from the beginning to the end. It's just 
today. And so live the way you want, eat what you want, do what you want, buy what you want, sleep with whom you want, go where you want, and live for today as you want because that's all you got. That's the only guarantee you've got today. In fact, if you don't get it now, you may never get it, right? You may never have it because you have no necessary future in front of you. All you can do is cram today with as much meaningful stuff, according to you, whatever that is, or enjoyable events that you can. And maybe the rest of the week, the knowable future that you can kind of control. And if you can do that enough, then you might feel okay about yourself. Because that's all you've got. Because the future seems meaningless. You're not quite sure where it's going. So, here's a very, very real example. So, Nikki Collin, many of you know, she did a marvelous job with her testimony at our event. Thank you, Nikki. Oh, come on. Yeah. Okay. So, Friday after that event, she had to go and pick up one of her children. Was it Connor? And or drop him off in um, Stony Brook to a friend's house. And as she was coming down Ben Hill Griffin to turn left, uh, from Ben Hill Griffin out of Corkscrew, of course, you know, for some reason, at 5, 5.30, traffic is backed up. Have you noticed? They're all here. They are. And so the light turns green, and she's sitting because it's like, I can't, where am I supposed to go? It's backed up into Stony It's like there's nowhere to go. The guy behind her starts honking his horn. No kidding. Yeah, have you heard that happen before? Then the light turns red. The guy in the, behind her gets out of his car, comes up to her, and starts yelling at her. She rolls down her window. She's brave. <laughs> and says, where do you want me to go? You see what I see? I can't go anywhere. I don't give a bleepity bleep 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 bleep. Lady, just get the bleepity bleep out of my way. And he goes back to his car. The light turns green again. And she's just like, <laughs> do you realize what happened? You just wasted those five minutes of my life that I had right now. I can never get them back. Do you understand that? Because he has no hope before him, probably. Or at least he's living functionally like, if it ain't now, I don't have it, and there's nothing before me, and that's the only thing I've got is now, and you just wasted my time, and I can never get it back. Time is the new currency for a lot of people. Do you realize what's behind the busyness of so many people's schedules and how they're trying to shove everything in now? It's a desperate search for meaning and purpose and direction. Because all they see is meaninglessness before them. They don't have the hope before them. There's a term for this. Um, it's one of the isms. We've talked about a lot of isms. And it's really the only alternative, I really believe, to Christianity. When it comes down to it, all the other isms are different attempts to find meaning. But this one is the ism that I think... Um, Carl Sagan is on the verge of falling into, and a lot of people are toying with, they don't realize it, but they are kind of struggling with it, and it, it is the ism called nihilism, which is basically, there's nothing. Nothing to believe in, 
nothing in my future, nothing to hope for. All I got is me and now, and I don't even know much about that. This is why we see people living the way they do in our society. This is why people are getting so freaked out about anything, because this is it. This is all there is. This is why if I don't have it now, I may never have it, and I better shove it in now and do it now and get it now and do whatever I want now. And with this creed, we have said basically we reject that. Praise God, we can reject that. We've got a God who in love gave us a purpose and a direction to life. A God who comes into this messy middle, we agree, it's mess, it's broken, it's not working, things don't work out right now. But he comes into the middle of this mess right now, he fixes it for eternity, he shows us the future with his own resurrection, changes all of history, and we've got a glorious future before us with our God, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And that changes everything. Now, this is kind of a, I love this quote, I understand it might be, seem esoteric, but there's a man named Jürgen Moltmann who wrote a book called The Coming of God, basically this whole idea of where we're headed. And he wrote this, the resurrection is also an event belonging to the whole of life. It is the reason for a full acceptance of life here and means that human beings can give themselves up to the whole of life without any reservation. What is hoped for there after death as the raising of the dead means here the life lived in love. In other words, everything you got going on today does matter. It matters because of love. It matters because the future that is held for you. There is hope. There is ultimate hope. It makes a whole difference. And what you do today matters for eternity as well. But God has a plan for you bigger than you could ever imagine. Isn't that great? I can live in that, in the midst of all the six o'clock news I could ever want, you know? This is my hope. This is what I hold on to, and it's the opposite of nihilism. But let's clarify a little bit, okay? Just so that you know, I understand it may be very difficult to believe in this phrase, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I realize that. I have to tell you, though, that Christianity from the beginning, like um, Phil had mentioned in, uh, when he read Acts chapter 2, has always been in a resurrection faith. You can't take the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of Christianity, you will have nothing left. Paul will say that in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time, basically. We're a total mess. It doesn't make any sense. Then I say, go for the nihilism. Go for it, because that's about the only other option. But because of the resurrection, from the beginning, and historians see it as well, why did Christianity just blow up on the world scene? Why did all this stuff happen? Because they truly did believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and therefore they lived their lives in that purpose and that meaning and were willing to take risks and invest themselves. They were willing to care for people who were facing death and were facing the plague. They didn't run away from those things. They also said, I am never going to forsake Jesus. He is my all in all. You can say whatever you want, but Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And they lived with the risks. They, took, they, they lived lives that didn't make any sense but for the resurrection. But boy, did they live with purpose and meaning, right? 
So what is this resurrection of the body and the life everlasting? I'm telling you this. It's not there's life after death. A lot of people believe there's life after death, and I'm glad they do. But you understand, it's not like, oh, you're going to, you know, I'll be floating on some cloud, playing a little harp, looking like a little cherub with a couple wings, singing in some heavenly choir board to tears. But at least I'll be at rest, you know. I think a lot of people kind of look at that's what they're thinking. That is not a picture you will find anywhere in the Bible. That is not the hope that we have. It's not that nebulous. It's not that, eh, disembodied at all. It is the resurrection of the body in the life everlasting, okay? Paul says this, it's, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So God has a future for us. Some who have died will be resurrected and be transformed, that their physical body will become trans physical in a sense, that it'll be glorious like Jesus' body was glorious from what we could tell and yet still physical after his resurrection. And some of us, if we are still here when Jesus comes again, we will be changed. We won't have to die, okay? But we will be changed. But that is what we are talking about here, that there is a physical body that'll be glorified and be filled with the Spirit. And this is what Paul says so with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. But don't get that confused of spiritual there being immaterial. You're not a ghost-like being or angel. You have a physical body that is so imbued with the Holy Spirit that you are united in such a way with God, that spiritual body that is totally aligned with the Holy Spirit. Wow. So we're also not talking resuscitation, on the other hand. We're talking resurrection. Do you understand the difference? Really, um, Lazarus was resuscitated. Guess what? You know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus was the same Lazarus that went into the grave, a little stinky at the moment, but later on, probably lived a few years, ended up dying again, right? That's resuscitation. When I am raised from the dead, the way the New Testament talks about it, thank God I will not need contacts or glasses, from what I can tell, right? The, my achy knee will not be there anymore that way. I will not have the fears and anxieties and the sleep. None of those things. I will be raised imperishable, as it says, glorified, spiritual, aligned with God's spirit. It's incredible, isn't it? That's the hope we have. It's not, because really, you know, me living forever the way I am might be good news and not great news. (laughs) It is not great news. But me being raised to a glorious body, totally aligned with God's will and God's ways and everything God has ever wanted for me and growing in that and being in a community of, that is amazing, miraculous news. That's the hope I have regardless of anything that's going on in this world. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, that's the life everlasting. 
And it's not just for me and it's not just for you. It's the fact that all of creation is going to be renewed. It's just amazing. Revelation 21, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter, has just this wonderful explanation of all this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I love this part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. God comes down, renews all of creation, heaven and earth kiss. Everything is united we are community forever with him, and we live in this forever. That is the hope that we have. You may have a hard time believing that. I understand. There are days I'm going like, how is this ever going to work out? What is eternity going to be like? Does this make any sense? And all that stuff. It's tough, but it comes down to this. I know Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and that's the direction we're headed because of him. And I know he was raised from the dead. I've studied it. We've studied You could study it all you want. And we've talked about that in other sermons. That is where our hope lies. That is what Christianity is all about. That is what I'm willing to stake my entire life on. That is what I'm willing to not ever let go of, regardless. And I hope that will be true for you. Well, that is a whole different story, a whole different ending, isn't it? But that's our hope. And we've done that now. Each week we've talked about balance and clarity and community. And we're going to do that now. Let's put that in the grid. Okay? First of all, balance. I think you could kind of answer this one. You know, if you have that glorious eternity before you, you don't have to stress about how your day is going. Okay? Losing five minutes at a stoplight will not be the end-all and be-all of tragedies. Do you get it? Because we know our present can be filled with very busy schedules, but they don't have to be so busy. We don't have to get so caught up into them as if that is our life. We have an ultimate hope that is always transforming everything. We have the fullness of Jesus Christ so that if my life doesn't work out quite the way I'd like it, if I don't get that job, if I don't have that career, if I don't have that um, home, if I didn't get that opportunity, if I don't get the recognition, it's not the end of the world at all. It is disappointing, but it is not catastrophic. I love how Wolfhard Pannenberg said it, only one who is certain of the future can relax and turn to today's business. In other words, I can be fully invested now. I can enjoy today. I don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, everything's going wrong. I've got a future. It is secure. 
It is given to me freely in Jesus Christ. That passage in Revelation said he gives it freely without cost. It's not like God's holding it back and saying you better you know, meet some standard before you get it. No, he says it's yours. It's absolutely yours. Now, on the other hand, this is the balance part. It's not like I'm sitting back and you sit, oh, I could just relax. It doesn't really matter. Nothing goes on. I'm just going to wait for the resurrection. Do you know what I mean? There were Christians that were doing that in Thessalonica, and Paul had to say, hey, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat, you know? And so he kind of had to balance that off. I love how N.T. Wright talks about the resurrection, because we're talking about the resurrection of the body. We're talking about the renewal of this creation so that this creation actually matters. This is the way he writes it. He says, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building God's kingdom. Okay? What you do matters. Every cup of cold water given in the name of the Lord, Jesus said, is worthy of reward. The smallest little things have an eternal significance. You've got great purpose. And that's why we're willing to sacrifice and give and do things that people would look at and say, that's crazy because you're not getting... I can give give away. (laughs) I've got a future before me. I've got more coming my way from a God who loves me absolutely and calls me a son that I could ever, ever give away. There's just no way to get, it's just impossible to outgive God or any of that stuff. We can work with purpose and hope without placing our ultimate value in how things turn out here. We know how it's going to turn out. That's balance. Now to clarity. Comes back to that wonderful uh, traffic situation for Nikki and for all of us. And if I could talk to that guy, tell him, you don't have to lose out on anything. You're not losing out as a Christian. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting means you're not missing out here. You don't have to be filled with envy over other people who have more than you or you didn't get that opportunity. You don't have to be filled with regret. Oh, I should have done that. I didn't get that. And now that's going to... There's nothing missing. God has more for you stored in that future, in that wonderful renewed creation, in your wonderful renewed body than you can ever imagine. He exceeds it all. You don't lose. Paul talks about, and you talk about a life that looked like he was losing a lot, okay? Shipwrecks, homeless, hungry, beaten, rejected, despised, I mean, stoned, actually literal stones, not the stoning we think today, stoned, okay? I mean, he did, had all that stuff happen to him, and this is the way he puts it because of that eternal perspective. He says, For this light momentary affliction, I wouldn't consider it light momentary for him, but that he does, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's the clarity we can have. 
I know our lives are messy and broken and messed up, and it feels like you might be feeling like you're living a second-rate life because of that happened, or this didn't happen, or this is going on. No. You get it all in Jesus Christ. You have everything and more for an eternity before you. Boy, that just gives me peace, freedom, and purpose. And finally, belonging. You can look around this room. This is just a little teeny part of your forever family. Do you realize that? The relationships that you have today here are just starting here, and they're going to go on forever. That's what it says. You're going to know each other in eternity. So whatever good is in the relationship now is already starting that eternity. We can have a little heaven on earth, and I think we do here at Thrive at times, by just the way that we love each other, care for each other, pray for each other, listen to each other, forgive each other, share with each other, serve one another. All those one another's are just different ways of saying that's what heaven's going to be like, and now we can explain, uh, experience just a little here. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Do you know what he's saying? You're going to live together with these people. You're stuck with me forever, Kathy. Sorry. Yeah, somebody told me to break a leg this morning. I just hope I don't. Okay. No. Um, so that is the type of belonging that we have in the Christian church. It's not just a little belonging so long as, it's a belonging forever as. And it is a wonderful thing to know that you belong here no matter what. So we've got two questions I want you to consider at the end of this whole series. And um, I think we're going to ask them now, but I don't know if you're going to be able to answer them fully now. It's something you might want to answer throughout the rest of the week, or you might want to talk to someone else in this church. The first one is this. Where are you placing your ultimate hope? Okay? Think about the pace of your life, what's really driving everything that you're trying to do. What's that engine in your car that's moving you every day? What are you actually hoping in? What's driving you at work? What's driving you at home? What's driving you to gain that something that you want your heart set on? Now, it's a tricky question, and it takes some contemplation to think through. If you're filled with a lot of anxiety or fear or control needs or all that stuff, it might be the check engine light saying something under the hood's not quite right that there's a little misplaced hope there. And it's time to realize the ultimate hope in this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this God of the, the foundation of everything, my identity, my purpose. Okay, God, this isn't my ultimate. You are my ultimate hope. Second question. If you answer, how does your ult- how that God is your ultimate hope, his future is your ultimate hope, then how does the way you live your life today reflect that ultimate hope? Like I said at the beginning, what you believe about the future affects the way you live today, and how you live today reflects what you really believe about your ultimate future. Okay? Can others see in me that the way I live is aligned with this resurrection hope. Is that my hope? Could they just look at me and go like, this doesn't add up. What's going on? Why would you do that? Ah, there's something beyond that I don't have. 
That's what I'm hoping happens for all of us at Thrive. Because do you understand how hopeless this world is? How many people are just desperately looking and searching and can't find it? And they've tried every other ism and they're finally at the verge of falling into nihilism because they can't believe in anything and so they just have to live for today and start yelling at somebody because you wasted five minutes of my life that I can never get back? That's pretty desperate. That's pretty hopeless. You've got the ultimate hope to share with them. And I hope your life reflects that. So I think... When we go to the Apostles' Creed, I know these are ancient words, but I think it is really a confession of faith. It is a saying of this is where I place my hope. This is the story of my life. This is the foundation that underlies everything. This is the direction I am going. This is the beginning that matters. This is the middle that's where I'm headed, and this is the end I'm going to. That That's what we're confessing right now. And I'd like to end our series by standing together and speaking that creed once more. Let's do that, and then we'll pray. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the coming resurrection. There's a day when we will not hurt where we will not cry, where you will wipe away every tear from our eye, where we will not have to fight to forgive or fight to heal or wrestle over any of our doubts anymore. It's going to be a day when you say it is done. Holy Spirit, would you keep giving us that insight where our ultimate hope lies? And will you transform our lives now so that it is aligned with that ultimate hope? We so easily get lost in ourselves in the moment, Lord. So bring that clarity to us, the balance and the belonging. Now, Lord, there are those around us that don't have much hope, Lord. And we haven't always had the courage to speak of the hope that is in us. We pray, Lord, you give us that courage this week that we're able to share your love and mercy with them. In our homes over dinner, in our home groups, home huddles, in conversations at work, wherever it is, Lord, that you season, that you sprinkle your spirit throughout all those conversations that they may see a hope that we have. It's not based on ourselves, but it's based on you. You're that foundation. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that. And we pray, Lord, that any of us who've wrestled with this, who struggled with this idea of a direction or future in our lives, that you would, Holy Spirit, come to us and that we would accept, that we would receive in faith this gift that you so want to give more than we want to receive and that you would make us your new creation even right now and that we would become 
new every day by your mercy and grace. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.